Warning, the following content occasionally contains adult themes and language, which is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the show. Welcome to episode one. I am Venture, your host, and today I'm joined by the Cookie Monster and Regent. Cookie, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves and to the listener at home? Hello to everyone out there. This is the Cookie Monster, and yes, I do enjoy cookies. Um, So for me, joining this podcast, I'm a huge fan of the television and movie entertainment world. Most of my knowledge about movies and shows goes way back to the mid-80s. Uh, Another thing about me is that I really enjoy random movie trivia and a fun hobby I enjoy as well is listening to director audio on shows and movies, as well as watching the extras that come on DVD, Blu-ray and 4K releases. I really like learning about how movies are made behind the scenes uh, and the the writing, the scripts, uh, even some of the hiccups, some of the things that uh, moviegoers may not even know that's happened when they uh, watch a movie. So, yeah, I look forward to dishing out some of my opinion on today's topic. And uh, thanks for having me with us today. Yeah, no problem. And uh, Regent, since you're joining us today, tell tell us and the listeners at home a little bit about yourself and experience that you may have with the entertainment world. Of course. Well, first and foremost, thank you for having me. I am Regent. Um, My expertise and knowledge is background more so in audio with the home theater world, both presentation and audio immersion so having the ability of talking about the different soundtracks scores and audio technologies from the 80s 90s and today and how that really immerse the movie level experience be able to dig deep and bring that to the same movie to life that's been out over the years but then also just being a really big fan of watching 80s and 90s movies and just seeing the evolution of film in, in general as a whole so i look forward to our topics and being able to create a memorable experience for you listeners at home all right a little bit about myself um as i've mentioned earlier i'm venture i'm your host and to give a little brief explanation about myself and why i even decided to start making this podcast is due to my inexperience with the entertainment realm due to being very sheltered as a child I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of movies or a lot of shows. I wasn't allowed to listen to a lot of music growing up. So as an adult, I've made it my personal journey to indulge myself in all the things I've missed out, like The Lion King. Um, May shock some of you. I've never seen that. I still need to watch that. Another thing is I, I do have a list of movies and shows that people have recommended that I need to watch. And so I have that. And at the end of the show, there will be an email that we will put either in our show notes or I will say on the podcast. And if you have any suggestions for films or TV shows that you would like me or the two co-hosts to watch, you can go ahead and do so. So let's go ahead and get started with today's topic, which is Halloween movies. It is officially October, October 15th. It is spooky season. So... What have you two brought to the table for your Halloween pick? Well, I feel like Regent has the the cooler of the movie, so I'll let you go ahead first. 
I mean, that's that's not true from what we discussed. Both of ours are mutually cool. <laughs> um, I think my movie of choice would have to be Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. That would be my go-to Halloween movie, at least for the younger side of me. Um, that would be the topic I'm going to be most interested in discussing. Okay. What about you, Cookie? So for me, uh, for this podcast, what I'm going to actually talk about is Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. It's not necessarily a typical Halloween film, but it's an amazing film that actually has some horror elements into it. So I'm excited to talk about it today. Okay. And uh, unfortunately, I don't get to bring my favorite Halloween movie with me today, but I am talking about a movie that I have watched very recently. And it is a, I would say a Halloween classic, which is the Ghostbusters. So let's go ahead and start with Regent. Um, Tell us a little bit about your first time with Nightmare Before Christmas, your viewing experience, and anything that you'd like to add to the conversation about Nightmare. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my first um, interaction with the movie in itself was, um, honestly, due to my one older brother. Um, he was going to school for graphic design and art at the time, and he was really big into the stop-motion, hand-drawn animation of film. So um, he thought in particular that I would like it because horror-esque but with a lot of comedy behind it and the different you know holidays so figured it'd be a cool bonding movie um so him and i watched it together and really had like as a younger kid didn't really understand it as much but i really enjoyed it for what it was at the face value of it um but as i got older i really got to understand more of like the actual effort that went into making the movies because back then stop motion animation and hand-drawn based art movies was a lot more difficult than you know cgi and computer generated images of today so a lot of it was you know the the love and compassion of art and just putting the effort in i mean tim Byrne himself in the featurettes there's a scene when jack is being introduced they have he has individual figures dedicated to each of the movements he was making so that way it was in a flow so he had a, a vision of beginning the end what would look like a two-minute scene would have over several hundred physical motions for stop motion. Audio, I grew in love with the soundtrack. I grew in love with the humor behind it and just the the little, like, kiddie-ishness because Halloween is, you know, a really big holiday for kids to have fun and just be silly and just have a good time dressing up as their favorite characters. But I really did enjoy some of the vocal work. I mean, I enjoyed Denny Elfman, who was the composer of the movie, singing as Jack. Catherine O'Hara, which for those of you who don't know out there, that was the mother from uh, Home Alone was doing the voice work. I didn't know that. I didn't either. Yeah. And um so and she was also in Beetlejuice. So like she has like a lot of work tied to, you know, Tim Burton, like his full fledged work. So basically like I grew up like understanding these just styles of music and art, but I also really attached to Oogie Boogie because that Creole soul like level music and what he brought in as like a contrast to like the uppity like music. I mean, as a whole, that movie has stuck with me like through the tale of times, like being 32. And this movie only came out in 93. So I was only five years old when this movie came out. So like ever since I was five and I was able to get my hands on the DVD as a teenager, I've been watching, I watched that movie at least one to three times every year during, you know, Halloween and technically Christmas, because I always get that same question every time. Is it a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie? Trick question. It's both in my opinion, and I will gladly have a constructual conversation with anyone who would like to disagree with that. 
or pick a side. <laughs> what a cup of coffee. Yes, a, <laughs> a cup of coffee, whether to drink and or throw at you, it's to be determined. Changed my mind. You know, I, I have to add something on that. Is, so for me growing up, I was actually scared to watch the movie because I actually definitely found it creepy. Um, I was definitely not a kid. Um, so the imagery behind that was just very creepy. It, it took about like a couple years after it came out for my friends to pretty much talk about it enough um, from the animation kind of side of it that it was like a cool movie and so forth. So I eventually did watch it and I did enjoy it, but it definitely took me a while because I, I never had imagery like that um, for animation for anything like the, close to that. So it definitely took a little bit of adjusting to watch it. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I mean, the the character work and the presentation, at least in that time for a younger person to watch could have been, you know, off-putting or just to get like a, at that time, a jump scare, as they would say. But um, as that movie became more popular, which popularness, at least in this day and age, it's more like a cult following. Like, Never for Christmas in the early 90s to early 2000s didn't have much of a fanfare until a lot more kids in my age group and Cookie's age group start watching it and start talking about it and actually rewatching it on cassette and then, you know, DVD when it came out. But it also took the accumulations of Disney actually recognizing it as a Disney movie and then Hot Topic and, you know, Journey is really pushing forth black and white, you know, contrast, you know, Jack's face being everywhere, uh, Oogie Boogie being occasional couple shirts and sweaters to present a villain to the hero. And that's when it really just blew up in popularity, where usually around this time, you're finding people dressing up as Jack Skellington or Sally, or they're dressing up as Oogie Boogie or just any random Halloween movie that was popular around that time period. So just seeing that evolution of popularity, but then also seeing that, at least in Disney World, my favorite place to go to in Orlando, this time every year, with their not-so-scary Halloween parade, they're part, of, they're part of it. Like, you have Jack, Sally, and Oogie Boogie. Like in that parade, like showcase. So they're getting their just desserts or comeuffins after all these years. Like they're finally getting the accolations and admiration they rightfully deserved and earned. Well, isn't that interesting when it comes to art? Like the amount of time it takes for people to appreciate art sometimes. Um, you know, especially Tim Burton, you know, with all the amazing work he's done. You know, thankfully he didn't pass away, but just for example, let's say, you know, he did you know, in the past decade or something like that, like how unfortunate it would be to see people finally appreciate what he, what he imagined and brought to the table. Yeah, no, like I, I definitely agree. Like sometimes it takes people way too long to actually appreciate the art that has, you know, that we currently have. Sometimes genius isn't really recognized until years later. And I think Tim Burton is one of those people in a generation who just has a mind that is so vastly creative and sort of very he makes very abstract movies but i have thoroughly enjoyed every single tim burton movie i've ever watched and it is a shame that his movies didn't get as much recognition back then but i'm certainly glad they are getting it now well and one of the things tim burns um at least from him artistically signature wise is that he doesn't draw average figure shapes like he always finds something to make them different or stand out per se so like Coraline for an example all their eyes are much bigger if you go to like Frankenweenie head shape is much bigger than average bodies some of the 
animals are much more disproportionate per se. Like, so he does all these little things to make it in his eyes. I would, I would want to use the term almost Gothic, but it's very much like a Baroque Goth where it's fancy to be unique and somewhat off-putting, but it's beautiful that you can understand the art that goes into it. Mm-hmm. I've always, yeah, I can agree with that, but something I've always thought about the different ways that he did the art forms was it was his way of separating the, like the individual worlds. That's always sort of what I thought about it. I absolutely agree with you because each of the movie works he's done it is just different universes that have different you know instances that just make it in its in its own place make it special on its own. Um, even so, with you know all the theories that the different movies intertwine, connect their you know different timeline placements, whatever it may be, as a whole, if you take the movies just as they are, there's so much more offered to the viewer than just a straightforward, you know, 90 minute to like a little over maybe two hour movie, depending on which one he's doing. So it's really good that if you just sit there and actually take the time to just watch everything going on around you, like I would say for the, if you're watching any of his movies for the first time, even so if it's a movie you've seen a hundred times or it's a new one from his catalog, I would take the time to just sit there, take everything in, enjoy the movie for the art that it is. And then the second view, start looking at all the different notes and little things he's putting through in the background, in the characters, details, things like that, and really start to like dig deep to see the beauty of it all as a whole. And that would definitely that would definitely give a better appreciation for the work he puts into his into his entire catalog and career. Quite frankly, yeah, no, I I agree. Um, is there anything you wanted to add on top of that, Cookie? Yeah, it was um, nothing too much, but just kind of like my perspective when it comes to um, you know, speak, since we're speaking on the movie, I'll speak about the that one but uh and it kind of does talk about tim burton films as well uh especially the older ones but um i've been i've enjoyed the movies they're not necessarily like my cup of tea it's not like no offense to him it's usually not like in my top watch list of the movies he makes but from an artist perspective because i am an artist and um you know in real life uh, i do appreciate it i actually will watch the making ofs for his films because that's actually where I get more of the appreciation from. Like I can enjoy it. it. The stories behind them are not necessarily something like when I leave the theater or after watching it, I'll be thinking about it a lot or something like that. But uh, if anything, I'll be thinking about the production more than anything else for years to come. The, you know, the sculptures, the, um, the stock motion, like looking at how detailed they have to do for every frame. And I completely understand, you know, a lot of films are 24 to 30 frames and people don't really understand how quickly those frames go by in the look on the eye of a couple seconds of movement where you're like, Oh, all that happened was really, they walked a millistep and, you know, and they waved their hand and it's like, yeah, that took about half a day. Yep. You know, <laughs> like half a day to a whole day, just framing those. And, and that was a good day, you know. <laughs> so for me, that's that's the part where I give him the most credit from. Um, definitely not taking away from yours, but just giving a different perspective, you know, as someone that I do enjoy the movies just from entertainment, but I give them way more um, points on the scoreboard because of just the level of detail that takes beforehand. I've always been fascinated with the per- like the production behind movies, and that's something I used to watch a lot more back then than I do now is the actual behind the scenes and the making of the movie. It's something I used to spend a lot more time doing. But more recently, I found myself be more interested in the story 
that the movie's trying to tell, the development of the characters. And I feel like that's something that's very consistent with his movies is he always has a very compelling story to tell. And that's something I really enjoy about his movies. So if we're ready to wrap up Nightmare Before Christmas, we can move on to the next movie, which I will pass that to you, Cookie. Great. So for me, what I'm bringing to the table is Scooby-Doo and Zombie Island. And to explain why the first part is where it is in my life. Scooby-Doo and Zombie Island uh, came out in 1998. Uh, It was one of those direct-to-video kind of releases. And I'll talk a little bit more about the big impact it had, and which is why I ended up really liking it. But as simple as Cartoon Network had uh, eventually put it on one of their Saturday movie specials, back in the day in late 90s where you know Saturday they would always have like an animated movie or something and that came on and I was already a fan of Scooby-Doo and the movie was like pretty dark for a Scooby-Doo movie and I just really liked it like it really felt like I was watching a kid-friendly horror movie um, with horror elements because it has zombies witches and a couple other things in there the settings dark you know you deal with like life and death and stuff like that so for me, it was just like really cool to see something to go this in depth because Scooby-Doo always kind of lightly touched those things throughout the years, but they never went anything seriously. And there's there's a crazy plot twist, which I don't want to really spoil. I know the movie's like 20 years old. Still, if anyone hasn't seen it, I don't want to spoil the, the biggest twist behind it. So and that twist also makes it stand out as well. So in my life, for me, as a big fan of Scooby-Doo and then watching a movie like this, this was just, this was like a really well-crafted film for years to come. Also, the soundtrack, the movie soundtrack was very phenomenal. And I was like singing the songs well after it, it went off. For years to come in college, I finally got a DVD copy of it. Pretty much about every year, I at least will watch it. Pretty much like my Halloween movie to watch. And it's really out of fun. On a personal note, I'm not necessarily someone with Halloween where I like I have to watch blood and gore, a lot of scary stuff. For me, I I like a lot of just I kind of like the more the fun side of Halloween, like, you you know, like the whole dressing up or maybe the spoofing of Halloween or spoofing on horror genre or just something that's very fun to watch. And that's why Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island fits that bill for me. Great nostalgia, just a great film to watch in general. And then they ended up on the island and it ended up having a really great in-depth storyline behind it of what happened to the locals and so forth, which brought in the horror elements, which brings up to being like kind of like a, a great Halloween movie to watch because there's zombies in it. And who doesn't like watching zombies during Halloween? Or at this point, I think our society just loves zombies in general. So you combine Scooby-Doo, a classic with zombies being, you know, and this was back in 98. So no one knew it was like zombies going to be even a crazy trend down the road. But yeah, it's, it was a great combination of films. I, I don't want to get too much into the plot because I feel like it's a, it's a great movie to give a try. If you haven't watched it, um, there's too many elements that I, I don't want to spoil too much of, but it, it picks up really well right from the start and has you all the way to the end. I always pick up something new every time I rewatch it. And it's something I do enjoy, like introducing to somebody else, because typically people are like really engaged because uh, the pacing is great in the film, too. It's never a boring moment. Now, to speak on what the movie is about. uh, So essentially what happened was uh, the Scooby-Doo franchise, and it will tie in with the movie, the Scooby-Doo franchise, you know, for a lot of people, they already knew about Scooby-Doo. It's been out for decades. Um, In the early 90s, it actually was starting to die down with the audience. Uh, just the ratings was getting low and not a lot of people watched it. 
So um, what happened eventually was Cartoon Network was able to get the rights to it and they started just doing reruns. For me, that's when I finally started watching Cartoon Network around the time they got it. And that's when I finally started watching Scooby-Doo. All the old classics, um, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You, The 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, A Pup Named Scooby-Doo, and so forth. So for me, I just, I was so in love with all the characters and everything. And everybody pretty much knows the Scooby-Doo story, so I'm not going to go through explaining we do it. Uh, if you don't know Scooby-Doo, where are you? You know, <laughs> <laughs> I know y'all like you what been? I did there. Yeah. <laughs> so, we got some work uh, to do now. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And the puns continue. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I mean, it's as cheesy as the franchise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so with the, the back to the franchise, though. So Cartoon Network was doing reruns and the popularity just went right back up, skyrocketed. Their ratings was really high when people were watching Scooby-Doo. Warner Brothers was like, hey. Let's go ahead and make a movie. Let's go ahead and put all the chips in. We're going to get it really well made. We're going to actually get like real bands to make music. But we want this to be direct to video. We still want to kind of play it a little bit safe with this. And they actually got pretty much almost all the original voices back uh, as many as they could. So it was going to be a movie true to form, you know, and this was going to kind of like a way to see, like, can we kickstart the franchise? It did. It was a great success. A lot of the key reasons why was they actually got a Japanese studio to do the animation, which is why the movie is very fluid. Um, the animation, the characters are really well drawn. They had got, like, Third Eye Blonde and a couple of other artists to actually make music solely for the movie. So it got to have original content for music. And from a high quality standpoint, you're looking at, you're having the authentic characters. So for a lot of us that was watching the reruns and to see this, it never felt like there was a jump. There was no gap because you got to listen and see the same characters, which was actually really genius because I didn't, I didn't even know that there was a whole skip of that much of a difference between the, the shows, physically speaking of when they were animated. So what I brought up earlier was how that plays into the film and it does. The way the movie starts is the gang gets kind of tired of doing mysteries. And it was like really unique because for years you start watching all this stuff for reruns and it's like, wait, y'all, you're tired of doing this now? Wait, what's going on here? And that's how the movie starts is that they go on a, a year long hiatus and then something happens to bring them all back. And that's what starts the whole journey. And they end up on an island and there's there's like a lot of fun story behind it. And it kind of fits in with a lot of the pop culture of its time. Daphne was like a, a TV host and, you know, Fred was the typical camera guy and stuff like that. Scooby-Doo and Shaq was doing their crazy stuff. And, you know, Velma kind of just did the stereotypical whatever a bookworm or, you know, someone like, like her genius level of thinking would do for a real job. Stuff like that. So they brought a lot of pop culture in at that. Big facts. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up watching bits and pieces of Scooby-Doo because my parents were very no Scooby-Doo because they were sometimes witches on the show. But my grandparents, they were all about letting me watch Scooby-Doo. And I loved it. We watched like the older Scooby-Doo and you could tell it had been very aged, but I always liked trying to figure out the mysteries before they could. That was always so much fun to do, even though 98% of the time I was incredibly wrong because I was maybe seven, but <laughs> it's just like, I swear it's, it's the red herring. The red herring is the one who did it. Oh nope. yeah. <laughs> Every yeah, time. Yeah, they put a lot of red herrings. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, it usually ends up being the first or second character you meet, not really ever like the third character who's like the biggest red herring yeah. in the universe. <laughs> every time. Every time I have the red hair. <laughs> it's obviously the spooky guy. He's doing it. He's like, like spooky. <laughs> like, nope, it was a janitor. The janitor. <laughs> yeah, it it is a challenge when you watch so many of them, you start picking up on the the recipe, you know, behind it. But I will say they make it fun, though. They make it where it's like, it's like they kind of knew that. Like, yeah, you're going to get up the formula, but you're going to enjoy what happens. Like Scooby do doing or saying something stupid. Shaggy making a big, you know, sandwich. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, where does he get all of the bread and the ingredients for these sandwiches? Yeah, Fred and Daphne is going to go off and do the nasty we we knew yeah so, <laughs> and then Velma solves it. I mean, the formula's there. <laughs> yeah, it always happens that way. But of course, um, Fred's always sort of takes the credit at the end. Always seems to be a consistent formula. <laughs> yeah, right. He's always like the one who demasks yep. <laughs> every time. <laughs> Just sort of like I was AFK for this entire mystery, but I'm gonna take charge here now. <laughs> the guy would. <laughs> It's like you only have the highest KD because you show up after <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> after everyone's Come dead. <laughs> but um, I haven't seen this particular movie, but it you definitely have piqued my interest. So that is definitely going on the list to watch, especially during this wonderful spooky season. Yeah, it's number one Scooby Doo film for me, and there's a lot of, and I've watched over half of the Scooby Doo franchise of films and series and so forth so this comes very you know highly recommended anything you want to add to that region i mean i have to totally absolutely agree with cookie because i mean i grew up watching scooby-doo like left and right like we were talking about this earlier before recording like growing up and watching all the guest stars and just the stories that they were telling and the meanings behind the tv shows and the movie itself which honestly i would recommend go seeing it and the return one which is the sequel to it um like there's just so much good cartoon storytelling that Scooby-Doo offers. And a lot of people just oversight because it's just Scooby-Doo and it's been around since, you know, the 60s. And there's so much more than that. Oh, yeah. I personally would love to know how many people went into, like, law enforcement or, like, criminal investigations due to crime-solving kids, like kid TV shows. How many? How many people have gone into you know, criminal investigation have actually made a big impact in the world just because of shows like these. Or try to, as I raise my hand in the background. Right, <laughs> try to. Did you solve the mystery of the miss missing Snickers bar? Yeah. <laughs> never. The world may never know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have to agree on that. I know for me as an adult, it definitely has made me very good at picking those things, just TV shows and movies now, when I watch it. It's a lot of the same elements. It's like, okay... This is a red herring. These are some of the kind of clues leading up to this. Like there was something I watched recently. I don't like it was that exact same way. It was like my friends all had these guesses. Like this person was number one on my list. And I was like, I just picked up on the clues. I was like, the show didn't ever make this person look bad. Everyone looks bad except this person. I'm like, this person is just too nice. And but what they did was they didn't show this person that much. They showed it enough where it's like, you know, this person exists around this group. It was just closed like that, and that's because of watching like Scooby Doo. It's like you start picking up on those things, like, oh, you know what? You you don't seem like a bad guy, which 
makes you possibly the bad guy. <laughs> you're not acting very sus, so maybe you are really sus. Yeah, <laughs> you're good at not acting sus, which makes you sus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's always something I've been curious about is not only regarding to Scooby-Doo and crime-solving shows, but really as media and as a whole, how it affects individuals or how it even affects society. And that's something I'm super interested about. But anyways, Ghostbusters. I recently watched Ghostbusters um, for the very first time. Yeah, um, what a movie. What a movie. So uh, to continue on that thread, what was your guys' first experience with Ghostbusters? Oh, no. Wait, no, no. We need yeah, to that's hear not your how opinion works. before we say anything. Oh, no. We- <laughs> I want to <laughs> see what a fresh newbie a young person, you know, like your generation. Yeah, I, I admit you can't speak on the production necessarily because, you know, but go ahead. All right. No, I'm in the hot seat now. All right. Let's see. Okay. It's it's an 80s movie. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's give let's give Ghostbusters a proper introduction. Ghostbusters is a 1984 film released on June 8th. It was directed by Ivan Rittman. And what do I think about this movie? I think it is an absolute fun film from start to finish. Do I think it should be rated PG? Absolutely not. I think it should be rated PG-13. Definitely not me rated PG. But I have very little negative to say about this movie. If I were to say anything negative about it, it would be the tone of the movie isn't very consistent. But other than that, I love the movie. I think it's absolutely fantastic. And I'm definitely going to watch it again next Halloween. Yeah, so the rating, I will <laughs> I will definitely agree on that. Like just from the horror elements alone, like it's 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 a comedy, no doubt. It's not a necessarily a full on horror but it has enough of scary things in it that it's like, okay, is this really a kid-friendly movie? Like, Oh, I wasn't even thinking about like the actual horror aspect. I'm thinking of like the very sexual moments of the show, and I'm like, hmm. Oh, you mean Dan Aykroyd getting some ghost hit? Yeah. Like- <laughs> yeah, that, and like, uh, what is it? Who is that late? Is Sigourney Weaver? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that scene with her in like the bedroom, she was mm-hmm. acting extremely sexual for a PG movie. And then at the very end, I think it's Zol. Zol? Yes. Yeah. She was very scantilously clad. I'm not like degrading people who do dress like that, but for PG th- for PG movie, hmm, maybe not. Yeah. There is definitely different. Nowadays, yeah, they would definitely make that a 13, PG 13 easily or you know, like you said, kind of probably put more clothes on her or something like that, or maybe under sexualize the the speaking in it. And what's his what's his name in the movie? Uh, the guy with the glasses, Moranis. Which like I mean, it has him in it. He's only in so many films, so that already gives it more bonus points. There's such great actors in there. Yeah, I don't know a lot about the actors in this movie. I know Sigourney Weaver. I think she did Alien. I still haven't seen that, but I think she's in that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. She is the Alien franchise earlier, earlier. That is another movie that is on my list. Don't worry, listeners at home. I have plenty of the 80s movies on my list. Um, tone, in, tone inconsistency. What I mean by that is certain aspects of the movie just didn't feel like it fit with the comedic vibe that they were going with. And um, I don't think that ruined the movie. Got any examples? 
So, for example, you do have the actual moments of investigation and more seriousness. For actual example, is like the moment in Sigourney Weaver's kitchen. Like, there's actual little bits of horror there, but it's not actual horror, but more suspense than anything. And I don't think that necessarily fit with the whole comedic vibe that they sort of went with. Because every other time that there's a ghost, it's just sort of very comical. Oh, You've got like the Slimer. Point. You've got the very Zol, like, isn't even supposed to be a threatening person. She appears first very sexual, and then after that, she's literally the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. <laughs> yeah, that's what makes the movie awesome. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm not saying it's not like a negative on the movie. The movie's fantastic. I just think that there's certain moments where it's like that scene was shot for a completely different tone of movie. Oh, that's a good point. I wonder if that did happen in the filmmaking progress. Yeah, so it sort of reminds me of the 2018 Venom movie, because that was originally shot as a horror movie, and then they sort of changed it to a comedy action-adventure movie. And that's sort of what this felt like to me. It's like it had rethinking or retooling of the overall tone of the movie. I would say... Because if you if you don't really know the actors in the film, I would say like I understand where you're coming from with it. But if you look at the actors in the film, I think what may have happened was they might have wanted to add certain bits and pieces. But knowing the step, but like the cast were more than half of like comedic type of actors. So um, I mean Saturday Night alums right you know so so that already was like oh yeah by baseline this was going to be comedy with with ghost now you've actually got me curious now because i wonder if they happened at just some point and wanted to add just some more horror to it because it, it kind of feels like yeah it kind of feels like it was definitely meant to just be like more of a comedy movie that we brought ghost in with almost like the effects made it more scary than it actually was meant to be because the effects they had at the time I think to speak on the whole effects department is maybe during the editing process that scenes were made to be more intense or to be more suspenseful than they were intended for when actually shooting the movie and going back and editing and actually putting these effects in that the actual editing process of the movie had changed the tone. I'm curious about that. I'd love some more insight to that maybe regent you have some insight on that yeah with with ghostbusters being you know very common oriented you had the original like snl alums i mean yeah like bill murray um originally john candy was supposed to play the role of rick moranis as the accountant in the movie but he passed on it like they originally wanted him to be in it so gosh that would have changed that too wow that would have changed a lot yes but to, to make the editing to keep within the ratings at the time and just to make it comedy for what it is now i mean working within the limitations they had unfortunately editing in the cutting room floor can change a whole perspective of any any movie and ghostbusters one was not excluded from that um growing up i mean i enjoyed the movie i love it i wish i had some memorabilia in my place but i don't have enough space for half the stuff i have currently but yeah as, as a whole from the movie like and the ties and the art and just the timing at least i know you're saying that some parts of it you necessarily didn't you know agree with or didn't click well enough i mean you get, gotta give them a for effort for trying there are there are genuine parts that are like funny but i think it comes in the same breath if you mm -hmm. know who the particular actors are and what they bring it may get a laugh out of you but for someone who's just going the first time not knowing anything your your reactions are validated regardless because it's your experience 
Yeah, Regent, and I actually want to jump on that because you bring up a very good point is that like even for me when I was a kid, I had already saw a couple movies with all the other characters, actors in it. So for me, like I kind of already knew to be prepared for it to be a comedy movie, kind of like what we just talked about, like how earlier, like growing up, I didn't really watch horror type of stuff that it didn't even feel like horror in a movie horror movie to me so even though it had ghosts and you know some scary elements it was actually just a funny movie to me which is why i really liked it and i was already coming into it knowing who the people were in the film and that's a very interesting point that's for venture to look at it because he doesn't have a history with any of the characters especially now to go back and watch it i know more even more than i did back then so even if it was a first viewing i would still think it's a comedy movie all the way in and out because of so much of the it's almost like the film was made that way like they knew that like hey there's a lot of this pop culture that's in here these are people who's popular you know and these people were in big movies at that time too so this this was a big deal that other a-list stars jam-packed of a-list stars going to be in this movie yeah i've never thought about that is how to watch that film not knowing about the a-listers and their history and and kind of like the core part of that movie i think it really does make it make you look at it very differently yeah and that might explain why i went in with a very blind eye i didn't have a film premise i didn't have any sort of i hadn't read a synopsis on it i haven't done anything with this movie before i literally just popped in my 4k copy of it press play watch the movie completely blind to its entire tone and everything now regarding the actors my very first run-in i think with any of the actors was bill murray in 2009 zombieland and that was my literally first time to do anything with bill murray and i didn't watch that until two years ago Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh wow. Man, there's so many like pop culture references. Like he he's like his own meme. Like when he shows up and stuff because just his like huge history in the whole comedy realm. He's just a meme now in movies. Even back in Zombieland, that that was him memeing him his own self, which I haven't seen yet, but thank you. <laughs> I now know he's in it. And even in Zombieland 2, he memes it even further. Won't spoil it, but... So I gotta watch it now. (laughs) Yes, now you gotta go watch it. But I hadn't heard of... I knew who Sigourney Weaver was, just from the fact that thought she was an alien. But I don't know any of the other actors in this movie. So... Well, I'll I'll give you this right quick. This is is actually gonna help you moving forward whenever you see the other 80s movies, because they're gonna kind of all be intertwined. Most of the people kind of played themselves like they like the personalities of the characters. That's kind of like a lot of the I don't want to say in real life, but almost like they're stereotypical characters in other movies too. Bill Murray was pretty much Bill Murray in that film. Dan Aykroyd the same way. Rick Moranis, everyone else. Like I would say, yeah, all the cast members that I'm thinking about in the film, except the woman at the, the front desk. I've, I can't remember any other movie she's been in. She's the only person I can't really recall any other film but everyone else though that's kind of like who they are in other films too so to kind of give you an idea you kind of saw them at their best and in a sense of that's who they who they are it was definitely an interesting experience i i do like the movie and i'm very excited to watch the second one because i do have the 4k 
little box set of the two movies. So I'm excited to watch the second one and maybe touch on that another time. Is there anything you guys wanted to add on the Ghostbusters topic? I know the sequel is going to be hilarious when you watch it because like I've watched it before on the outside and you can definitely tell like, yeah, this is like a commercial type of sequel. Yep. Uh-oh. So that's, yeah, <laughs> I'm just going to prepare you for that. All right. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> no spoilers, but yeah. Well, you know, whenever you see a great franchise, I wouldn't say franchise, like when there's a great movie that comes out and then a sequel comes out and you're like, <laughs> I think it's really good and I love the soundtrack so don't get me wrong I think number two is good but I just kind of want to lead you in on that because I feel like that's how you're going to feel <laughs> what about you Regent anything to add I would have to, I basically am on the same page with Cookie about that I mean it can be said with any sequel like in this generation of movies like if you have a great success you hit lightning in the bottle the first movie they almost the studios and whoever is producing it almost want to rush the sequel to try to keep that momentum going and a lot of times it actually hurts more than it helps um i mean that's why with ghostbusters in particular there's only were two movies and then you waited almost oh my gosh i wouldn't even say waiting like i don't even count that as waiting it was just done after two and then someone yeah. went into the grave and dug them out. You're like, you know, like there, there was no way. Yeah. For and then they tried to resuscitate it. it. <laughs> Ghostbusters 2 was released in 1989. And then when did the other, the newer Ghostbusters come out? 2018 with the all female cast? 2016? Okay. Yeah. So they waited quite a while to make that. 27 years. I don't think that's fair to really say waiting. It's it's so much stuff behind it, and it's and it's like a pseudo sequel. You know, it's not necessarily well, a... technically it's a reboot. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I can't really say that people waited for a sequel. That's why I say the first two. It is what it is. Now this new one, which is Afterlife, is su- supposed to be the true sequel. But I don't know. There's just so much stuff behind it that's like out of respect to the first two films. I'm like these are just all standalone. Even for Afterlife, it hasn't came out yet, but I feel like that's just probably just, you know, more of a homecoming or a homage, you know, kind of movie. Like a way to close the book on the Ghostbusters. Yeah, so everyone can kind of leave it alone. (laughs) For anyone who wants to know, Ghostbusters Afterlife comes out on March 5th, 2021. It's supposed to be set 35 years after the original Ghostbusters. Wow, sure not age around here. All right, so um, I believe that covers the Ghostbusters topic, the Scooby-Doo, and the Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, thank you both for joining me on the podcast today. Yep, glad to be here. It was a fun time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. And uh, I we will see you guys next week. And to you listeners, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we greatly appreciate you being here for our very first episode. If you did enjoy the show, please give us a review. A review helps us out tremendously to be seen by more people. It is an absolutely free way to do so. You can also subscribe. Another free way to help this show out. Um, please tell a friend if you did enjoy the show. Word of mouth is the best way to spread a podcast. But yeah, like I said in the beginning of the show, there is an email address that you can send movies, TV shows, or music to us that you would like us to cover on the show. That email is cinematicrewindpodcast at gmail.com. Like it is C-I-N-E-M-A-T-I-C-R-E-W-I-N-D-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you have 
a wonderful day.